This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. Today, like all of the episodes, or most of the episodes, I am going to be having a one-on-one conversation with an entrepreneur who is blazing trails and doing his own thing. So often we go through life and we realize, so many of us go through life and realize that our ladder is against the wrong wall. And this show, since I started it almost four years ago, has been dedicated to getting the stories of people who decided to knock down that ladder and build their own against the right wall. And I've started, uh, recently we had uh, the gentleman who was the founder of Brain Juice on the show, and everybody got really excited about that uh, interview, and I've decided I want to talk to more people in the food industry, because I can't think of anything that would be more complicated and more competitive than trying to come up with some sort of a specialty food item and find ways to get shelf space in today's world. And yet, there are so many people out there who are doing just that, and they are just having great success. So I have been keeping my sort of ear open. A friend of mine introduced me to today's guest, and today's guest is the founder of the Zia Chili Company. And I'm going to let him introduce himself and give you his background. Nate, I don't want to mispronounce your last name, so could you just jump in here? How do you say your last name? It's uh, pronounced Cotanch. Cotanch. And the reason I looked at that and said, I'm going to let him say it. So Nate Cotanch <laughs> is from Zia Green Chili. And Nate, his company's in New York. And I asked him, how in the world do you go working in the investment world in New York to having a green chili company? But he's got a great story. So Nate, welcome to the show. And why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Yeah, well, thanks so much, Tom. I'm so excited to be here with you speaking. Um, so as you said, I am the founder of Zia Green Chili Company, and uh, we really specialize in supplying authentic uh, Harvest Fresh New Mexico Hatch Green Chili um, you know, to both retailers and chefs nationwide at this point. So if uh, you know those who may not be familiar, this is a crop of chili pepper that's only harvested one time of year in the fall. Um, it's actually an exciting time because we're just starting the harvest right now and uh, it will be going until about mid-October or so. But so you have this crop of chili pepper that is very seasonal, only harvested one time a year in the fall, and uh, they're only grown out in the Hatch Valley of New Mexico. So you could think of the Hatch Valley to chili is in essence, you know, what Napa or Sonoma are to grapes, right? It's all about that terroir. It's all about that growing climate um, that you just cannot reproduce anywhere else in the entire nation. So I naturally grew up around these chilies. Um, I was born in Colorado, but my mom is one of 17 children 
wow. from right north of Santa Fe. That I know is a, that's uh, th- my mom was one of 12. 17 just seems like so much more. I mean, I feel like once you get over even like seven or eight, it <laughs> becomes pretty crazy, right? <laughs> do, but, do, you, uh, do you have any kids of your own? I, I do not. Yeah. I am a the, single you, entrepreneur and my company is my baby at the moment. Then you, you know? have no idea so. what a giant number 17 is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. Same two parents, uh, no twins in the family. And <laughs> then if you branch out to all my cousins, it's it's even crazier. Um, I actually met one of my cousins for the first time through starting my company, which is a whole other story, but it's, it's pretty insane. But um. Yeah, you know, it's a very typical, large New Mexican family. And uh, I grew up just having these chilies, you know, basically shoved down my throat in the best way possible mm-hmm. all throughout my life. Um, every harvest time, my mom and I would drive down to the Hatch Valley of New Mexico, stockpile on like two, 300 pounds of it. She would spend a whole weekend just roasting it on the oven broiler because we didn't have our own roaster at that time. And, um, you know, then just like any other New Mexican, my mom would have a dedicated chest freezer just to have her stash until the entire <laughs> next year's harvest. The house must so, have smelled phenomenally wonderful when she's roasting hundreds of pounds of that for her own consumption. Oh, my gosh. It's um, Have you ever smelled it yourself? Oh, oh, yeah. I live in Austin, Texas, and, and Central okay, Market, yeah. uh, HEB Central Market does a Hatch Chili Fest, and they roast them out in the parking lot. And when you drive up, you go, oh, must be Hatch Chili Weekend. Yeah, exactly. It's just one of the best smells in the entire world. And, you know, for those of us who have grown up around it, it's just a smell that evokes, you know, really like who you are, your family, the landscapes that you grew up with. Um, so many different memories. It's it's really, truly a special thing. Well, and I've got to tell you that I am a huge uh, consumer of peppers. I just, I think that, you know, I think that the greatest thing ever and, and green chilies have always been my favorite. And, uh, when I moved to Texas, I discovered the hatch green chili. And I will tell you that, uh, I will eat anything. They sell burger patties with them in it. The downside is, is that my wife is actually allergic to the oil that exists in vegetable peppers. So no jalapenos, no bell peppers, no banana peppers, no chili peppers. And yet I look at them as a food group. So I don't get to consume them as much in the home because then you'd have to make them like make everything totally separately. But I definitely, I definitely, if there's a hatch, if there's a hatch green chili burger on a menu uh, at the right time of year, you will find me eating that. Yeah, that's, um, no, that's awesome. Well, we're we're actually going to be a part of uh, Central Market, their Hatch Fest this year. So this Sunday, um, we'll have somebody down in Austin who is a good friend and has helped the company before, and then I'll be down there the following weekend. So awesome. Well, the you'll bad have news to come is- by and we'll have to, you know, smuggle you some Hatch chilies awesome. well, for, for you to have in your personal stash. For the for the people listening, that will have happened like five weeks ago. So they will they will not be able to come down there this weekend because this will air a little bit later. But uh, I will rep- okay. I'll report back on a later episode about how good his green chilies are. <laughs> nice. So what led you to be an entrepreneur? I, I looked at your bio and you, you sort of went from college to sort of it looked like investment banking or finance. What, what, what happened? How did you become a hatch green chili entrepreneur? Well, uh, it's a good, good question. And it's kind of become, you know, the story of my life at this point. But, uh, you know, to answer it, it really happened pretty naturally and organically. Um, like I had mentioned, these chilies had been such a huge part of my life. 
you know, all throughout growing up and childhood. And then uh, maybe toward the end of my high school years, we actually moved from uh, the Southwest out to North Carolina. And at that point, you know, we were so naive to realize that these chilies just didn't exist out there. So we went out to eat and um, my mom and ordered something and asked them to smother it in Christmas, which for those who aren't familiar is, you know, <laughs> kind of the state question of New Mexico. You go there and it refers to, you know, if you want your dish smothered in red chili, green chili, or Christmas, a combination of the two. That's so, awesome. I've never, I've, I've spent some time in New Mexico. I've never heard that before. That's awesome. Smother oh, nice. it, smother well, it well, in Christmas is going to, that's like my new dream of all food. Just smother it in Christmas. Go to New Mexico and say exactly that sometime. I, uh, I really, that's probably my personal choice, but, um, yeah, so my mom in the middle of North Carolina asked the waiter to smother it in Christmas, and they just gave her the strangest look. And, uh, you know, she was kind of like, okay, um, if you don't have that, you can just smother it in green. So then they brought back uh, a dish, and they smothered it just in, you know, like a green tomatillo salsa, which is very clearly not hatch chili from New Mexico. So <laughs> then it, it kind of hit us that, oh, you know, these chilies aren't available out here. And it came to the fall time and my mom had to go to every local grocer out there and wheel and deal her way into getting the produce buyers to bring out a shipment just for her. So, um, you know, this time on the East Coast really hit me that, you know, again, these chilies don't exist out there. Then I went to school at Syracuse University um, I moved into the city after that. But I'm just going to uh, guess. I'm just going to guess that the, the the amount of good Southwestern food in Syracuse is low. Yeah. Well, again, on the East Coast, it's um, it, it's really just non-existent. Yeah, I grew, I grew up in Southern. Part. I grew up in Southern California, and I've lived the last 27 years in Austin, Texas. And so, yeah. when I travel, I just don't go anywhere near Mexican restaurants because they just don't get it in the Northeast. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what you also learn too, is that Mexican versus like Cali Mex or and Tex-Mex, Tex-Mex yeah. and New Mexican, they're all very different types of cuisine too. Cause you know, New Mexican is very built around the flavor palette of these hatch chilies and New Mexico chilies and, you know, to all these other places who haven't even been subjected to them. Um, there's no way for them to use them. Yeah. So, cause, cause you, you cannot know. replace a hatch chili with a green pepper. Exactly. A bell pepper but, um, is not going to be good enough once you've had the hatch chilies. Oh, no, not not even close. But so, yeah, I, as you said, worked in uh, the venture capital world for a little bit, which was great, you know, because I got to interface which, with a ton of entrepreneurs. And um, actually, when I moved into New York, I moved in with this couple off of Craigslist who really has kind of been the whole foundation for, you know, starting my company. And it's just one of those crazy things that had I had not met them, I don't think I would have my company. I don't think a lot of my friends would have their companies. And um, anyway, uh, you know, so it was a couple. Uh, the man, Chiv, had worked originally at uh, Citibank doing equity research, which was one thing that I was originally going to go into. And then he had quit that to go on a world tour with his band, which uh, was this Indian pop boy band called the Bamboo Shoots. 
<laughs> and, um, you know, they had a lot of success, but then unfortunately that didn't work out. So he moved back to New York right at the time I moved in with him. And uh, he had started up his own food company at this local food market here in New York called Smorgasburg, which is, uh, you know, on the weekends, they set up hundreds of food vendors down like on the waterfront of Brooklyn. And um, on a good weather day, you literally have like between 30 to 40,000 people who come through this market. Wow. So, you know, he had grown up with all these uh, great, unique flavors from you know, his mom from India and everything. And uh, he was there selling like Indian style vegan vegetarian sandwiches with these amazing chutney recipes that he'd grown up with. And so I would help him do that on the weekends. And uh, I just honestly became really fascinated by that market. I was fascinated because A, you know, he was making almost his entire living off doing these weekend markets, but he was really you know, utilizing that as a platform to gain market validation, to get in front of real people and share what he had grown up with. And uh, as a company also to gain a lot of cash flow to be able to invest back into the company to build it to the place where he ended up scaling it, which right now he has two brick and mortar cafes in Manhattan that are doing really well. Um, it's called Bombay Sandwich Company. And, uh, you know, it, it's just great. But so I was fascinated by this market. And the moment I stepped foot there, you know, just subconsciously, I was thinking, oh, you know, this would be a really great way to, you know, share what I grew up with, which are these hatch chili peppers from New Mexico and this type of food that I grew up with out there. So maybe about two years into working in venture capital, um, I just decided, you know, why not try to go and do a stand there on the side. And then, so we got in, um, we got written up by some local press, unearthed a whole huge following of New Mexicans and Southwesterners <laughs> and chefs who also like me, you know, were true, just misplaced out here and had been without these chilies. And, um, you know, we all kind of came together and then we saw the opportunity to become a supplier of it. So Obviously, there's a lot of things that have happened between <laughs> then and now, but um, yeah, that, that's kind of the genesis of it, that I just, you know, saw that organic opportunity, did so, but, it on the side, working seven days a week until it really got to the point where I was like, you know, I have to go full time on this um, and I can probably sustain my living doing so. But this is this is interesting because, you know, from the outside looking in, I would think the specialty food business would have to be, if you don't come from it, it would have to be hard to figure out. And so you ended up discovering it through a chance meeting of people who became your roommates because you were looking for a place to live. Right. I wonder how many entrepreneurs, or how do you feel about this, how many people who are entrepreneurs who are successful can tie back a little piece of their success to, I was in the right place at the right time, and I met this person who opened all these doors for me. Because if you hadn't seen somebody who went from, a, a weekend farmer's market stand to, you know, brick and mortar and other distribution, it might've been impossible to figure out. Don't you think? Yeah, I totally agree. And especially out here in New York too, having met a lot of other food entrepreneurs, whether they're restaurateurs or like us who have products and our purveyors that they supply, um, you know, it's just a really 
like capital intensive place to do business too. You know, the cost of producing things are high. The cost of rents are super, super high. So yeah, it, it really is one of those very unique, unexplainable things that well, and a lot I of, kind of, a lot of people have like grandma's cookie recipe or, you know, right. or whatever it is. And, and they have these dreams of, of doing this, commercializing it and things like that. And I've, I've become a little bit obsessed with the specialty foods business because I, I, I work as a speaker. So I haven't done a lot of work right. with people in the food business, but there's a lot of conferences in the food business. And my topic yeah. of what I call the paradox of potential, every time I meet someone in the food uh, like the specialty food business, they're like, oh, that topic would be really good because so many people have potential. Grandma did make the best brownies or you did grow up with these catch chilies. And yet there's a gap that exists for all entrepreneurs across industry lines between potential and results because having potential right. is, having potential is not a solution. You know, it doesn't mean you're going to succeed. Why do you think yourself and some of these other people who you know have been able to get a farther across that gap? How come some people get stalled and some people move move across? Um, that's a tough question. And I think it really does kind of go down to each different situation and everything like that. I mean, in general, whether it's myself or a lot of the other entrepreneurial friends that I have had, um, A, you know, I think it's a little bit, I mean, you know, I went to business school, so I have a very business oriented, you know, kind of financial mindset background in order to, you know, like when we went and we started up that stall, we ran it very strictly like a business. So, you know, being able to keep track of what you're making or what you're losing or just all the ins and outs of all the operations and finances of the company is so important. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think a big thing is really just having that drive and uh, just in some ways almost being, I don't want to say stupid is the word, but, um, you know, if you were to sit and think too hard about it, you'd be like, oh, you know, I'm leaving the job in venture capital to <laughs> sell chilies from New Mexico at a farmer's market. And I'm just quitting my whole job to do it and, you know, diving into it, it's... um it's a scary thing. So in some ways, like I was kind of blind to that while still recognizing that risk. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. At the end of the day, it, it's tough. But I think it definitely does come back to the entrepreneur behind the company, whether it's a factor of them having some sort of luck, which I'm sure it's, it, it's got to be a huge part of everybody, but also, you know, their own skill sets, their own background, um, drive, really, really important. And just uh, the ability to be resilient and get out and do it and see what happens. Do you think it helps to be able to take that risk because you are young and only a few years out of college and single? Do you think it's easier to say, ah, I'll put all my eggs in this basket and, and I'll be the, the chili king of Manhattan versus if you were 50 with two kids in college? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really imagine what it would be like to have kids right now. Um, my company is my baby, but I do feel like, yeah, having a little bit more of that freedom definitely allowed me to, you know, take that risk a little bit more. And in general, you know, I am a pretty risk-taking person. Um, you know, I, I just kind of do things that I feel like doing and, you know, learn from there, whether it's successes that I have or mistakes that you have that you have to change and just kind of pivot to keep moving forward. But yeah, I think that 
that definitely did help out quite a bit. So how long has it been now since you quit the venture capital world and started into this full time? How, how long has that been? So let's see. Um, I've been full time on the company for, you know, about three years and four months or so. So what do you uh, love now that you've been doing this for a while? What do you love about being your own boss? Oh, man. I uh, Well, for now, it, it's just one of those things that it's just become a way of living. And uh, right now, it's how I know to make my living and kind of how I know to live my life. And I think right now, one of the amazing things is, you know, just what we've been able to go and add back. And the fact that, like, I started this up to make these hatch chilies available. And now we've really been pretty successful in doing it. So, you know, through all of the different customers or other New Mexicans out here that have, you know, come up to us, some even with like tears in their eyes to smell these chilies again (laughs) because of what we've done or the number of really, really incredible chefs that we work with all throughout the nation to just be so excited to be using these chilies and, you know, that excitement in turn, like goes off to their customer base as well, because anybody who grew up with these chilies, even if any chef anywhere has them on the menu, it really does become a destination item. And uh, it unearths a whole following of hatch chili lovers that, you know, have been without it. And there's tons of us everywhere, all throughout the nation. So, um, yeah, just something that has been so deep rooted in my life and in my family and for it all to have come full circle. Uh, it's it's a really, really rewarding feeling. And sometimes it's hard to take a step back and, you know, look at things from the outside looking in versus inside looking out and uh, really be appreciative of how far you've been able to come and how many people you've been able to impact and so forth. So what advice do you have for somebody? Maybe maybe it is the specialty foods world. They, they've got an idea. They've got something they, they want to do. It's eating away at them. They're thinking, I, I have to do this. I hear about these people who, who follow their dreams and build their business and turn their, you know, their food item into you know, a success. Or maybe they're in some other industry altogether. What advice do you have for someone who wants to get started? Um, I guess my biggest advice would be, you know, just, just do it. And uh, I know that is a lot easier said than done, but when I say just do it, it's just, uh, you know, getting it out there and, you know, in whatever minimum form you can do. So, you know, with me, I didn't jump, you know, straight overnight from working in finance to just doing this full time. I kind of did it as a hobby and, you know, we only did it like one day a weekend at this market that we got into And I was working seven days a week, um, you know, really trying to do everything I could to grow and start this company in every one of my free hours. And, uh, you know, I would still have a full-time job, but I just kind of did what I could on the side until the point where it grew to the point where I needed to kind of give my full attention to it. So I guess, you know, just whatever it is that you want to do, find an outlet to do it and to get it out to the public to the point where you can get feedback from it, where you can get other people's opinions, where you can get that market validation either way, whether it's something that will have success or something that you need to change and, you know, just listen to the market and um, 
you know, don't, I, I would say I've, I haven't known many people that just, you know, go overnight full time into doing their own company. And I think there's a big perception and fantasy that it's, you know, you just quit your job and go right <laughs> full time into doing it, but it, it takes time and it's kind of baby steps, you know, just working as hard as you can doing what you can with whatever time you have until it gets to the point where you have something that does have legs. And, you know, even then it's still a lot of work and a lot of financial, social, um, overall sacrifice to get it to where it needs to go. So what are some of the hardest things you had to learn, not coming from a food background about getting into the sort of the consumer packaged goods world with food and the specialty foods, uh, sections, what were the toughest parts? Was it the packaging? Was it the distribution? Was it the marketing? What's been the hardest part? Um, that's a good question. I'd say, you know, there's a combination of a bunch of different things. You know, it's a, at least in my perception, this whole consumer packaged goods world is something that I don't think is very it's not very friendly, you know, like there's a pretty high barrier to entry. Yeah, that's my, so of, from the outside looking in, that's my interpretation of it. And I, like I said, I've done yeah. a little bit of work with clients in that space. Uh, we have a great sort of happy hour meetup in the CPG world here in Austin that I, yeah. I'm not in that world, but I was at the coffee shop and I knew, I, I was like, how come all these people are here? And I've been going because it's a really interesting, friendly community. I really like the people, but I keep thinking yeah. if I had a product, which I don't have a product, but if I did, how do you even start? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, uh, we kind of got lucky in the sense that, you know, we had this market that we were operating at that provided us a ton of cash flow on a every weekend basis to, you know, be able to take, be able to interface with the public on a weekly basis and, you know, have a lot of inbound interest from chefs and people to, you know, kind of really validate that demand of what we had to do. So for us, you know, getting the product wasn't, you know, as complicated um, because I, in essence, you know, knew a lot of the growers that we wanted to source from. I knew exactly what I wanted our product to be. You know, it's not a salsa. It's not a sauce. This was pure, authentic, roasted Pilman Dice Hatch chili from each year's harvest. So it's just the chili itself, which is so special um, to be put out there as an ingredient. But then... You know, so it takes all this work to get this product where you have it in the physical form, but then to go and build it into distribution, that's extremely tough because you have to go and, you know, knock on every retailer's door locally to try and get them to put you on their shelves. And at that point, you're still trying to learn on what are like the right pricing that you should use, what are the margins that everybody in the industry kind of needs to have in order to make it successful. And then, you know, you keep doing that, you keep hustling, get it on some shelves, get it moving in some places. And then it gets to the point where, you know, in our case, we had like maybe close to 100 different local places that were ordering our product. But then you know, I was self-distributing. So uh -huh. I was driving around New York City at like oh, all hours of the day, <laughs> oh, delivering, <laughs> shipping them out. And uh, I don't know if you've ever driven in New York City, but it's one of the most frustrating things in the world. It, well, really, so, any any city to self-distribute to 100 locations. Like I said, I, I, I'm yeah. not an expert in your industry, but that would be impossible. 
it was it was really really tough and again we were very fortunate that we still had like weekly cash flow coming in from this market but you know to get to that point it it's hard because it doesn't necessarily mean you're making money right like you are getting all these accounts but then everybody in the industry normally buys at like a net 30 type terms and everything so you're constantly sitting on like a bunch of receivables and you're hounding down people to pay you and um you know you're you're just sitting on again a bunch of inventory cost and things like that because it's just what you need to do but uh yeah it, it's very tough if you don't have the financial backing to be able to get through that point um but you know then for us we had all those accounts we had gotten you know more and more press like we've got written up in the New York Times and Savoy Magazine um, and a bunch of other places. And then we had also worked with uh, this company out here in the Northeast called Chopped Creative Salad Company, who actually they're all throughout the East Coast, but, you know, they have like 50 plus locations. It's like a quick serve, very high quality salad chain that, you know, do these destination salads every quarter. So a couple of years ago, they you know, wanted to do a New Mexico destination salad that we ended up supplying them with. And, um, you know, we did all that direct, which was, again, really, really tough. But, uh, you know, once we had all this business, like all these individual retail accounts, we had this large chain ordering from us, then we kind of had that selling power to, and all this press too, we had that selling power where, you know, distributors were We're coming to us and asking, hey, you know, this what we do. We distribute. You don't need to self-distribute. You don't need to go and do all this stuff. And um, so I guess yeah. it's like a lot of businesses. Once once you don't need them, they want you. Once you once you've gotten yourself established, then all of a sudden they want you. It's harder when you're the new kid on the block because they see so many new kids on the block. That uh, tends to be the way with a lot of things, right? Yeah. So absolutely. But, yeah. Exactly. So. Getting through that uh, growing period, I think, has been one of the challenging things just because, again, you're using so much of just your own physical labor to go deliver on it. You're, you know, needing to spend a bunch of your own free time if you don't come from that background. Talking to people, uh, just learning how the industry works and all the ins and outs of it. And uh, it's tough. There's a lot of things to navigate. So, so do you ever look back on the days when you did all that self-distribution all over New York and for the big chain and stuff like that and just shake your head and think, what the heck was I doing? Yeah, I do. I actually uh, still have nightmares of dealing with like UPS and FedEx and stuff <laughs> like that. Were you the guy That's, like at the post office who came in with all the big boxes that I'd get behind who's self-shipping all of his own stuff? It's like I go into the little post office near my house and I walk in, there's a guy with like a cart full of boxes. It's like, oh God. There's only yeah. one, if there's one clerk, I'm going to be here for an hour waiting my turn. Yeah, I definitely was uh, on, on a number of times because, you know, we used to do all of our own fulfillment, like off all of our uh, website online sales. So, you know, we would manage that whole process. So we by the way, the boxes. I looked online before we did the interview just to get an idea. And I saw the jars of the green chilies. I assumed it was a salsa until you started talking. And I realized this is just the roasted green chilies that you'd use in other things and stuff like this. I'm just, exactly. sal- I'm just salivating here over the, uh, 
I, I would want the hot, not the mile or the medium. I, I'm, I'm salivating over this jar that's on my computer, uh, looking <laughs> at, the, at the green chili, and I'm thinking that is, I'm, you know, I can keep that away from my wife. She, it's not like she's going to steal it. A jar of that in the fridge is going to make me very happy. Yeah, well, uh, I'll, I'll send one out to you for well, sure. I was going to buy one, but you know, this is good too. <laughs> so, hey, Nate, I've got a couple of more questions for you before I can let you go. But first, yeah. I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. You, uh, Podfly, does all the heavy lifting for you. They do the technical work. They do all the stuff that you'd never get done. This is like self-distributing to 100 locations. Don't do that if you're starting a podcast. Get Podfly to do all the hard work. And you just focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool guests like Nate. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer they have for the listeners of this show. So, Nate, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What is the coolest thing you're doing with your company right now? Well, right now we're in a really, really exciting place because, you know, all those uh, old nightmare nightmare times aside, uh, now we've gotten to the point where, you know, we have like around four different national distributors um, and are really branching to places all over the nation. So, just this month, we're rolling out to the majority of the Whole Foods all throughout the Rocky Mountain region, which is in Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, um, you know, Kansas, those states, which is huge, really exciting, uh, rolling places like Central Market. And we're just starting to work with a lot more and more really, really amazing, talented chefs all yeah, the throughout fact, the nation, The fact too. that you're going to be in Central Market, I, I live right down the street from Central Market South, and so uh, I'm there all the time, so I'm going to be looking for my Zia. That's awesome, Walt. No, this is great timing. Uh, so you're, you're saying the cool stuff is just the growth that you're having? How do you handle the growth? Uh, well, it's needed to be handled by, you know, really kind of taking a step back and just looking at the company from a 10 foot type of view and being like, okay, you know, how do you build this into a scalable company? And that means going and studying in place processes that, you know, for example, like different internal sales pipelines from like a mess of a Google document into like a more organized Salesforce type thing or, you know, same thing that we've done with like our finances and our whole inventory tracking system. It's all very, very well documented to a point where, you know, there's virtually never any slip up. So a lot of it has been a lot of internal progress that we've made just in terms of uh, what you have to do to set in place to really be that scalable company. So a lot of that is, uh, you know, that right now. And um, yeah, I mean, personally, I'm traveling to a lot of different places throughout the nation, supporting a lot of our distribution and all these various different markets, working with a lot of these really cool chefs that, you know, we're with. And um, it, it's just really, really rewarding. And it's, in my opinion, an absolute ton of fun. 
So, you know, it's it's really interesting because you talk about the fact that, you know, moving off the Excel spreadsheet into something a little bit more technical, that's a little bit more foolproof for what you're doing, etc. I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs, I, I talk to a lot of solopreneurs. I'm a solopreneur. I think that's yeah. the thing is is not having the systems in place can can crunch us at any size company. Do you think your experience working in venture capital uh, is helping you scale this company? Uh, I definitely think it has, you know, to an extent because... I mean, that was my role at the company was uh, being one of the head analysts and, you know, entertaining all these different pitches and ultimately presenting to like our investment committees, which ones we wanted to explore moving forward with helping to, you know, secure capital and all that. So I think, you know, my own business background, a lot of uh, mistakes and successes I've seen other entrepreneurs has helped and you know, I think that other people involved in my company, um, which I have two other minority partners and their own background and experience has also been really, really monumental to help the company grow because they've come in and they can do what they do best to really help grow the company and operations. And, you know, then I get to spend the majority of my time doing what I do best. Mm -hmm. So I love to ask the people who come on this show who it is that they admire out there in the entrepreneur sphere, if you will, or the world of entrepreneurship. Because, Nate, we could talk about you and Zia Green Chili Company all day long, but I think really good entrepreneurs, and obviously with your background, this is true for you, I think they're observers. And I think that's where lots of times we get some of the greatest nuggets is who do you observe where you say, that entrepreneur over there, they're doing cool things. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's another one of the really rewarding things of being in this world, right? Is you get to constantly meet so many other people who are really just all doing that same thing. Like we're all kind of from a, a same breed, right? Like you have to have that very similar mindset and risk-taking ability and uh, resilience to go do what you need to do. So I could probably talk about a billion different people for ever too. But, um, you know, some of the people who just come immediately to mind because of the different things that we're doing with them and different events that we have with them are uh, some of the really incredible chefs that we work with. So there's one. Are, you're, you must be familiar with uh, Franklin Barbecue oh, in Austin. Of course. Yeah, right. you can't live in Austin without, without at least once having camped out at 7 in the morning to get your barbecue. Yeah. So uh, if you're familiar with pitmaster John Lewis, uh -huh. um, he was one of the original, you know, founders of Franklin, helped grow that and everything. And he currently has his own barbecue joint out in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, he's become a good friend of ours now for, you know, over a year. And we did a big roast with him in Charleston last September. What's the name we of his restaurant? Uh, Lewis Barbecue. And I mean, this guy, he's, he's incredible. He grew up with his family creating their own pits and everything. And, um, you know, going to his location in Charleston and seeing his operations and tasting his creations, uh, they've been really incredible. But, you know, he had come out to New Mexico with me um, a little over a year ago because he grew up in El Paso, which is, you know, just right down the road <laughs> from the Hatch Valley. So. Right. He grew up being such a huge fan of these chilies, too, and uh, the way that he's been able to infuse them into uh, all of his different barbecue flavors, right? So he bakes cornbread with them. He has, like, a hatch green chili barbecue sauce that he does. 
he does, you know, different like burger specials with them, brisket specials with hatch chili braise and stuff like that. And um, he's, he's really been an incredible person to get to know and work with and uh, also an inspiration too. Well, and I so. think chefs are, I haven't had, you know, I'm, I'm currently seeking out some of these specialty food people like yourself, but yeah. chefs is somebody else who's crossed my mind that it might be fun to interview because really, you know, even if you're working for somebody else, even if you don't own the restaurant, being a chef is being an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's being an entrepreneur and uh, it's also being an artist too, oh, you know, sure. like the different types of things that you can do with various ingredients that really continues to blow my mind and I've really taken it up as a, a hobby on my own too in my spare time. I think it's well, now you're making me so hungry. much fun. Now you're making me hungry. <laughs> so the last question I ask everybody is, you know, I think entrepreneurs have to do more than make money and it's hard when you're a startup because, you know, you've got to get everything going. What do you do to give back to the greater good? Um, I mean, it, you know, one of our big missions again and the whole reason why we exist as a company is to make these really incredible hatch chilies available um, in a year-round nationwide shelf-stable format that hasn't previously been able to exist. But another thing that we're really working hard to do in all these efforts is really kind of, you know, the whole education behind it and why these chilies are so special. Again, they're a crop that is very, very, you know, unique to this Hatch Valley and this growing climate that you can't really pre reproduce anywhere else. But that being said, you know, you see with like the Hatch Valley to Chile is kind of what you tend to see with, you know, for example, San Marzano and tomatoes, right? It's a region that has all this kind of marketing weight and clout behind it. And you see a lot of brands out there that push their tomatoes is like, hey, it's grown from the San Marzano region and everything when in reality it's an uh, inauthentic product. So that I think brings a lot of, uh, you know, negativity back to that special region. And of course the growers who work so, so incredibly hard to make that available. Um, you see that happening a lot with Hatch and his chilies too. You know, you see a lot of other brands out there, people, promoting it as hatch when in reality it, it may be grown down in Mexico because the labor is a lot cheaper and, you know, just all that type of stuff. So, you know, right now just the education behind these chilies and making them available in a authentic format. Um, that's really our, our big mission because it's something that's very, very special to me and special to the entire state of New Mexico and just a bunch of other people who grew up with them too. Well, I got to tell you, I think you've got a great product. I haven't sampled actually yours, but the Hatch Green Chili is a favorite of mine. Uh, I will now be a big Zia's fan from this day forward. Every time I walk through the market and I see a jar, I'm just going to tap the jar and go, I know Nate. Yeah, I know Nate. <laughs> awesome. These are my chilies. Uh, but uh, if you're ever in Austin for any reason, please let me know. I would love to go uh, have a beer and hear more about what you do. But really, I appreciate you coming on here and just being so open and honest about sort of your, your journey because I think what you're doing, like I said, I think the business in you're in, it's hard and you've, you've you know moved well and you've moved fast and you're having success. And I think that's the example that all of us in the entrepreneur space, that's why people listen to this show. If, if, if Nate is successful, maybe I can learn a little bit from him, help me be a little successful. So thanks for giving your time. 
Yeah, thanks so much, Tom. I really, really appreciate it. No, this is great. And everybody, if you are a lover of the Hatch Green Chili, or if you've never tried it and you're thinking, I like chili, chilies, uh, you can go online to ziagreenchiliCo.com, and I think you can order right off the website if you're not living in an area where they are. Yeah, we're available nationwide through Amazon. So Awesome. That, that is that is the way to go. Go and give this product a try. If you see it in the market, do more than touch it and say, I know Nate, buy a jar. Uh, and uh, like I said, Nate, thank you so much for being here. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with another episode. I am pushing in close to 400 of these shows over the last four years, but none of it would work if it wasn't for all of you who listen. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So if you like cool things entrepreneurs do, do me a favor right now. Tell somebody else. The only way this show grows is people tell me, I started listening to your show, and I say, how'd you find it? And they tell me, oh, my friend you know, said she listens every day on her commute. So uh, tell a friend, because that really helps out. So uh, we're going to be back with another interview with somebody just as cool as Nate. I know you're thinking, how can you find somebody as cool as the New York chili guy? But I will. <laughs> we'll be back in a couple days. But in the meantime, I challenge each and every one of you, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.